Amen, amen. Hello, everybody. How's everyone doing? Good. Jesus is worthy. Amen. Um, maybe just encourage us this morning, if it is your first time, or maybe you've only been with us for just a couple of weeks, um, maybe thinking like, wow, sometimes it seems like we sing the same thing over and over and over again, and you know, it's like only two or three songs, but like we go for a really long time. What's that about? Um, and I just want to say, as a church, we are passionately after the presence of Jesus. And we are, with zeal in our hearts and all the zeal in our lives, going after Him. We want to see Him and we want to give Him the glory that He deserves. And I love in the Word, we see this beautiful picture in Revelations. Uh, John has this encounter and he sees the throne room and he sees the activity. Um, of what's going on in heaven, and there's the four living creatures, and it says that day and night and night and day, they never cease to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, from our perspective here on earth, you might be thinking, like, really, they just, one song, that's all they got, that just the same thing over and over, surely there's some creativity, but see, the difference is, um, in heaven, it's not that they're just singing the same song. I love Con said this maybe a year or two, a long time ago, that it's like every time they see him, it's like it's the first time. That every time they see the beauty of the Lord, it's like I have to respond by just declaring who he is. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. He's the Lord God Almighty. He's the one who was and is and is to come. So sometimes when we keep singing the same thing over and over again, it's not that we're just stuck on repeat. It's that we're continuously seeing the beauty of Jesus and who the Lord is in a greater expression. And we cannot help but respond by declaring the worthiness of Jesus. And when that begins to happen, you can feel that tension of like almost being sucked into it in like the best way. It's like the, the atmosphere begins to shift because the Lord himself loves to rest and dwell upon the praises of his people. So as we just begin to love him, as we just sing and adore the beauty of Jesus and who he is, he really, really loves that. He really loves that. And it's so simple. It's as simple as singing the same song over and over again, but my heart is coming alive because I'm seeing the majesty and the beauty of who Jesus is. So we will never apologize for long worship because we should really get used to it. We're going to be doing it for all of eternity, um, which is really awesome. Um, and Jesus is really worthy. Amen. Come on. Um, we are... In such a significant time as a, as a church globally, but I really, I, I'm, I'm expected and excited um, even just reflecting over the last couple of weeks on everything that the Lord has been doing in the life of 24-7 church. And uh, again, I want to encourage you that if it is, uh, if you're new to the community, you might not realize that there's actually a lot of history and there's a lot of things that we have um, prayed for, contended for, even before I even joined the community, but that we're actually stepping into and living in now um, after years and years of, of sensing, feeling, and praying into what we felt the Lord wanted to do in the community. And that is an incredible thing. See, Pastor Grant mentioned it this morning that even having this space, it's not just about the space, but I promise you it is a, a physical manifestation or expression of what the Lord has done in our hearts and what He's beginning to do in the community that there is expansion, and it's not just about an expansion of numbers and people, although that is amazing. We want to see many people um, encounter and know Jesus. But it's about what he's doing in the hearts of the community. He's really after the hearts of his people. 
And I want to um, encourage us that I feel like although we've stepped into so much and we really have, it's powerful. I, I feel this like holy excitement and anticipation in the spirit that we're, it's like we're on the edge of something again. Um, like a, a, an even greater, beautiful expression of His glory is in store for us as a community. And it's not something that, we, that we're fighting like, you know, or, or straining to go after. It's something that He's actually leading us in, something that He's, he's taking us on a journey on. And on that, we've been talking the last couple of weeks, you would have heard this. This line has been ringing in my heart. I just love this language that as the people of God, as sons and daughters, our hearts are the treasure of His creation. You heard that over the last few weeks, our hearts are the treasure of His creation. What does that mean? It means that above what you are able to do, above your gifting, what you think you're good at, what you're able to contribute, anything, overfunction, no matter what it is, what the Lord is most concerned about, what must be dealt with first, is the health and the posture of our hearts. He, he values our hearts so much that He also really cares about the health of our hearts. He actually really cares about our emotional well-being too. And uh, uh, the way that we know that is when we just look at the message of the gospel, the price that Jesus paid really reveals his value for the hearts of man. He would not have gone to the extent that he did. He would not have gone to the cross and poured out his own blood if he didn't really value the thing that he was trying to purchase, which was his sons and daughters. Does that make sense? You would never pay an exorbitant amount of money for something that you knew only cost five rand right? <laughs> I remember going on missions, a mission trip with Pastor Grant in Zambia, and uh, there was, there's one, uh, an analogy of the gospel that I'll never forget, because it was about Coca-Cola, and we have a mutual love for, for the real pure Coke, not Coke Zero or none of that stuff, you know? Um, and I remember the analogy was, you know, you know that if you go to the shops right now, you can buy a can of Coke for 10 Rand or whatever it is. But if someone came up to you with that exact same can of Coke and was like, this is a million rand, you'd be like, there's no ways I'm paying that because I know that it's only worth like 10 rand. I can go and get it right now, you know. And um, the picture is when we see what Jesus actually gave, the price that he paid on the cross by giving his life, taking um, man's place, becoming sin and being crucified, really reveals that there's maybe more value to the heart of man than what we actually catch. Like, the, the gospel is a radical, wild picture to, to show us the zeal that the Lord has for His people. It's a radical demonstration that He would stop at nothing to ensure that we know Him. And not just that we know Him, but we're actually whole in Him. That we're actually fully satisfied in the person of Jesus. That there is absolutely nothing in terms of my, my desires and my life and my purpose that I lack because I've found everything in the person of Jesus. And it's His great the great price that he pays, that he paid, I beg your pardon, warrants a, a great devotion. It's not a devotion that's out of obligation and about ticking the box. It is a response to the incredible price uh, that he paid. It is a response to go like, that you valued my heart and my life that much. And everybody around me, the, the church, the world, that you valued us so much, Lord, you are worthy of my praise. You're worthy of an early Sunday morning, a late Wednesday night. You're worthy of waking up early every day to spend time with you. You are worthy of studying the Word because it's like life um, and nourishment to my soul. You're worthy of all of my life, that the direction of my life is towards Jesus in every single way. Amen? I really believe that in this, um, 
that what we're stepping into as a community, I, I really have such a strong um, sense in my heart just as I've been processing with the Lord that in His mercy, He's not going to just thrust us into something new or um, like a great expression of, of, of what we're carrying and all that and allow us to actually carry past pains and hurts and struggles into that new season. I really believe it's the mercy of the Lord that He actually wants to bring a, a full, um, a complete healing to the hearts of man. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. He didn't say who the Son sets free, He will watch and hope to see if they can cope and figure out all the mess for a little while. He said, no, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I really believe that maybe, um, I know that I've been in this place, and I'm sure everybody can relate where uh, we all have that carpet in our lives where we can kind of just brush everything under. And you just kind of keep your head down and you keep on going. And you kind of realize a little bit later down the line that there's lots of things in our hearts that maybe we've left um, undealt with. We haven't taken them before the Lord. We've just kind of pressed on and carried on. And then before you know it, you may be like limping in those specific areas. And uh, I really believe the Lord is like saying like, you can absolutely wholeheartedly give that thing to me. I actually want to touch you in the deepest places of your heart. I actually want to bring full wholeness into your life. I want every single part of your heart and your life to be fully satisfied in who I am, made whole, living in the fullness of who I am. That when I lead you into this new season, a greater measure and expression of my glory, you will not carry the baggage and the weight and the past pains and the hurts and the struggles into the new seasons. You will be made completely free. I believe that with all my heart, and I feel like today, um, there's journey in this process, but I, I'm expectant that today, if that's you, you feel like you're in that space, um, keep your heart open to the Lord, because I really believe He wants to touch the people of God today. He really wants to bring wholeness and life and healing into our hearts, so we can really come alive in who He's called us to be. We don't have to carry um, past pains and hurts and struggles and all those kinds of things. Like He actually cares so much about us that He wants to make sure that we're completely liberated before just launching us into something. Does that make sense? Am I communicating that all right? So I really believe that the way that we, that we process um, as believers is, is really important because um, I know that I've done this many times, but often there's this thinking that creeps in and it's often very subconscious and it happens really slowly where if I'm dealing with something, I'm, I'm journeying something, I'm, I'm struggling in a certain area, often the subconscious thought is that I have to get this thing right or just kind of bury it or forget about it or figure it out before I'm actually able to, uh, before I'm actually able to engage with the Lord. Like I have to be right, uh, be in a right and healthy place before I'm actually able to come before Him. And saying that out loud, you can be like, that's ridiculous, that's not the gospel. Yet a lot of us live that way. Am I the only one? Right? Um, and I want to say, yes, it is completely anti-gospel, that kind of thinking. One of my favorite scriptures is in Romans 5, where it says that God demonstrates His love for us, and that He sent Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In other words, in the deepest, darkest places of our lives, it's in that place where Jesus looked upon us and says, that son, that daughter is worthy of my whole life. Which means on the other side, if you've received him and given your life to Jesus and you're now living and walking as a son and daughter of the Most High God, you've been received into the kingdom, 
then it doesn't now change where suddenly, okay, because of that grace that he once gave, now I've got to make sure that I, I stay on the right track, tick all the right boxes, otherwise I'm not able to approach him. That doesn't sound like a good father. He longs, he longs to have his sons and daughters close to him. And the price that he paid was not uh, something small. It was to ensure that there was absolutely nothing that would separate us from the love of God. We get that? Today, my, my, my hope and my expectation that the Lord would do is, if there is any kind of hesitation in your heart, in any season of your life to draw near to the Father, that that would be smashed today. But that actually a holy confidence and boldness and an excitement would rise in your heart to go like, no matter what season I find myself in, no matter what I might be journeying or processing or feeling, I am going to run into the presence of Jesus, knowing that he longs for me to be there. One of my um, favorite scriptures, I've just been meditating on it this week, is Psalm 139. You guys know that scripture? The whole thing is really beautiful. Basically, um, if you haven't read it, I'd really encourage you to read it. It's this whole um, psalm, this, this, this worship coming out of the heart of David, um, giving glory to the Lord for how intimately he knows him. So he says these incredible things like, you, you knitted me together in my, in my mother's womb. You know every word um, that I speak, even before it's on my tongue. He talks about, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your right hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall uphold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light to you. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together uh, in my mother's womb. I'm sure you've heard this one. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So see, there's this beautiful worship that's coming out of David going like, you, you know me so intimately. You, you formed me. You made me into who I am. And I, I want to praise you for that. Like, wonderful are your works. He says, this has been just ringing in my heart. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. Isn't that beautiful? Like, I, I want to sit before the Lord and, and with every area of my life, or even if it's not to do with my life, just the world in general, what he's thinking about, and say to him, like, Lord, how precious to me are your thoughts. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what you have to say. I want to know what's on your heart, right? He says, if I would count them, talking about his, his thoughts, they are more than the sand. That's how much thought life is happening in, 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 in the Lord um, with regards to who we actually are. And if we jump a little bit down, uh, we get this window, I believe, into how David actually processed with the Lord, where he didn't we, we know lots of the story of David where he, he went through a whole lot of difficult things in his life. So we can celebrate the good stuff like 
his love that he had for the presence of the Lord, that as um, he was arguably the greatest um, king over Israel that they ever had, restoring the ark back, bringing all the people to come and behold the glory of the Lord. But he was also a guy who made a lot of mistakes, right? He did make a couple of blunders, and he did journey a couple of difficult things. I mean, right in the beginning, when he's introduced, Samuel is coming to, to anoint who is supposed to be the, the new king of Israel. God's going to reveal that to him. And he goes to the house of Jesse and he says, bring all of your sons and the Lord is going to make his um, selection. And Jesse brings every single one of his sons except for David. Right in the beginning of the introduction of who he is, he's faced with what you can only imagine as like immense rejection from his own family. Where the Lord is like, bring me all and he's left to the side, not even considered and thought about. Yet, what I want us to see is that no matter whether it was rejection, years and years of Saul coming after him and trying to pursue his life and kill him, uh, the different mistakes and things that he made, there was nothing that stopped David from engaging with the presence of the Lord. There is nothing that stopped David from feeling like he wasn't able to come close to who the Lord is. And even if it was a case of, I need to repent, or I need to receive your mercy, he did that with like a, a rush into his presence, like running down face first to encounter him. Are you with me? And listen to this. This is how he postured his heart before the, before the Lord. Verse 23, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. See, I love this because it's like he probably knew that there was some stuff in his heart. All of us have something that we're journeying, right? But he never allowed those things to stop him from coming before the Lord. In fact, the, the whole psalm is, first of all, him just worshiping and thanking the Lord for everything that he's done, praising him for how intimately he knows him. And then we get to see this posture of his heart, how he anchors his heart in the presence of God to say, you search me. I'm not going to stop and take a step back and first try to figure out this mess that's going on here before I come to you. No, he runs into the presence of the Lord and he says, you search me and you know me. Isn't that beautiful? Like he just praised him for how intimately he knows him, yet he still welcomes the Lord to search him and to know him. And he says, you find if there's any way in me, there's anything in this heart that you don't want to be there and lead me in the way everlasting. I really believe this is such a key for the people of God where you, we need to be so secure in the fact that there needs to be nothing that is happening in our hearts that holds us back from the presence of Jesus, that makes us feel like we have to first figure it out before we're able to engage. That's not the gospel. Our ability to enter into His presence and draw near to Him has everything to do with the price that He paid and nothing to do with actually who you are and what you've done. It's the grace of God that welcomes us into His presence. It's because of the blood of Jesus, uh, Hebrews 10 says, that we can come into the Holy of Holies. That's the innermost part of the temple where the glory of God dwells. Not just with, oh my word, I'm not sure if I can come, but no, it actually says with boldness and with confidence, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That means, assurance means certainty. It means I can come to Him because I'm certain that He actually wants me to be here. I can come to Him because I'm actually certain of who He is. And I can love Him. I can worship Him. And I can receive the love that He has for me. And in that place, I can trust that as I'm allowing my heart to just be open before Him, I can trust that if there's anything there that He doesn't want, that He's going to actually heal me. 
that I don't have to put this pressure on myself to have everything figured out first. I don't have to even know what all of those things are. But I can really trust Him as a good Father to say, like, my heart and my life is in your hands. You come and search me and know me. And if there's anything, Lord, that is in my heart and in my life that you don't want to be there, whether it's something that I just need to be healed from, maybe it's just pain, maybe it's just loss, maybe it's grief, you know, maybe it's struggle, maybe it's sin, whatever it may be, but I can trust you to touch me in that place. And you're not freaked out by it. You actually want to touch my heart. Are we getting this? See, this is really important because I believe, and this is just a little bit more of what I want to share today, I really believe that what the Lord is looking for in the people of God in this hour is steadfastness. And I really want to, um, by the grace of the Lord, bring a real clarity on what I mean by steadfastness. Because um, I think that we can really easily have an unhealthy perspective of what it means to be steadfast, which is kind of to just, you know, put your head down and just kind of drag along. And yes, we're going in this direction, and I, I'm just trying my best to to stay faithful to what God's called me to do. And well, everything is a mess, but I, I'm just gonna I'm keep going. Maybe that's a part of it, but I actually really believe that in the Lord, true steadfastness is not just our ability to continue to be faithful to Him and pursue Him and and everything that He's called us to do, but it also, this is really important, listen to this, it also has everything to do with the posture and the health of our hearts in the midst of that. Steadfastness isn't necessarily a good thing if I'm just dragging myself along, but my heart is actually in a really unhealthy place. Not in a place of honor, not in a place of actually loving Jesus or loving the community that I'm in, but I'm just kind of pressing on because I know it's the right thing to do. The Lord wants so much more for us than that. True steadfastness is not just the ability to keep going. It's the posture and the health of our hearts in the midst of the carrying on. Does that make sense? What that looks like, the, the, the health and the posture of our hearts, I really believe is where the, the Lord is forming character in us. It's like he's shaping and molding our inner man, who, who we actually are, what our, what our life actually looks like. And I believe it's in that place of, of steadfastness, in that place where he is shaping and forming our character, that that is what he's doing in order to make his church a radiant bride. It's to do with her character. It's to do with her heart, right? It's not just about being able to tick the box of church and do all the Christian things. I promise you, that's not going to change the world if our hearts are in a rotten place. It might seem like there's, maybe by His grace and mercy, there'll still be a little bit of fruit. But it's about a heart that is fully given to Him. A heart that is living and moving in the the wholeness and the freedom of the gospel. And it is that that will produce a healthy expression of of works and, and ministry in our lives to see the kingdom established on the earth. And the way that the Lord is establishing and forming character in our lives and building His church is through the revelation of Jesus. That's why I said we have to be uh, relentless in our pursuit after the Lord. It can't, we can't settle for, well, I'm just not in a good place. I just have to figure this out right now. We have to know that He's a good Father. We have to be able to continue to press in and draw in, knowing that He's welcoming us. Because it's in that place, in the midst of the process and in the midst of the journey, that we position our hearts and, and submit our hearts to, the, to a process and to a journey. 
that He is shaping and forming the character in our lives and in our hearts. And in doing so, He's producing us. Uh, he's making us to be a, a radiant bride, a radiant church for His glory. Amen. Does that make sense? Are you guys still with me? read us a scripture real quick if you are taking notes it's a really short scripture but it's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 5 2 Thessalonians <laughs> like veggie tales <laughs> okay this is really important listen to this 2 Thessalonians Chapter 3, verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Let me just, I just want to talk about the church in Thessalonica real quick because this just gets me so excited to uh, have my faith stirred for what God is actually able to do in a group of people. So when the church in Thessalonica was um, established, there was great persecution that broke out um, when the church was initially planted and, and believers were coming to know the Lord. Uh, so much so that Paul actually wasn't able to stay there for very long uh, because of how intense it got. Um, historians, they don't know for sure, but they estimate that he wasn't able to spend more than six to eight weeks from the time the church was planted, like first time ever, no church, no believers before then, to the time he left, no more than six to eight weeks. And in the first letter he writes to them, you'll see that there's this language of he was so concerned for them and worried because he didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with them and teach and train. So he sends Timothy, and the report back, he says to them that um, concerning brotherly love, the love that you have for one another, I have no need to write to you because you yourselves have been taught by God how to love one another. This rocks me because I'm like, this is a young community of people that have literally just come to know the Lord for no more than like two to three months. Paul's writing to them, yet he's already to make, able to make these confident claims that they've learned to love one another with the love that is from God. Isn't that crazy? It's incredible. It makes me excited because I'm like, sometimes we put this long timeline like, well, you know, it's going to take years and years and years before I understand that thing. And it's like, I don't know, if we come to the Lord in faith and we position our whole lives to be shaped and molded by who He is, there really is nothing that He's not able to do. He really can put, and He does, He pours His love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, so that we are able to love one another, not with the love of our own, but with His. And I love that Paul's able to say that over a community, even though they're so young in the Lord. So just to encourage you, even if you gave your life to Jesus five minutes ago, you can learn to love just like Him. <clears throat> okay, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is really key. When we talk about being steadfast in the Lord, remaining faithful to our pursuit of Him, and also to our mission and our mandate and what we're called to here on the earth. It's vital to understand that steadfastness is not something that I produce in my own strength from my own life. What Paul is praying here, he's saying, may the Lord, not may you learn to do something, but may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God, good place to start, and then from there to the steadfastness of Christ. This is really important when we look at the life of Jesus, 
I think steadfast is certainly a word that we could use to describe his life and, and the way that he lived and the ministry that he fulfilled. But his heart posture uh, mattered too, right? Jesus wasn't just about this outward display of, of ministry and religion. Excuse me. In fact, that was his, uh, something that really upset him about the, the religious leaders of the day. He said, inside you are like ravenous wolves. There's nothing healthy, nothing good going on in here. No revelation of who the Lord actually is. But outside you're portraying all this stuff. So in the same way, the life of Jesus wasn't just so powerful because he did a whole lot of things, but it was because of where it was coming from. Because God, coming as man, yielding to the Father, he didn't do or say anything other than what he saw or heard the Father speaking. You with me? Hebrews 12, it says that he, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In other words, as horrific and just wild that the picture of, of the cross actually is. And you can only imagine the, just the physical pain and suffering that the Lord went through to actually do that. I mean, at the time, literally the worst way to be killed, right? But we look at the posture of his heart, and he didn't just kind of drag through like, well, I know this is the right thing to do, but oh, this really sucks. No, it actually, the scripture says it was for the joy set before him that he endured. In other words, the steadfastness that was um, evident in his life wasn't just because it was the right thing to do to be steadfast, but actually because he was so secure in who he was in the Father and his position um, in, in, uh, in the presence of the Lord. And he knew the vision. He knew the mandate. He understood that there was great joy to be experienced because of what God was doing. And it was the joy that produced steadfastness in him. So when we talk about the Lord directing our hearts uh, to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ, notice that it's our hearts being directed to steadfastness. It's not, hey, let your, your actions be uh, directed to a steadfast way of life. It's, it's a heart matter first. It's about anchoring our hearts and our lives in the Word, in the presence of Jesus. And from that place, we begin to see the overflow the fruits of, of the Holy Spirit being manifest through our lives, the kingdom being established through our lives. Does that make sense? The steadfastness of Jesus is only found in His grace and in the revelation of who He is. It's on the revelation of Jesus, Matthew 16, on the revelation of Jesus that He is building His church. I promise you the way that he's building his church, yes, on the revelation, but what that's going to produce when we really catch what that is, when we really go after who Jesus actually is, there is a radical steadfastness, I believe, that's going to come alive in the church. One that is not coming from our own strength, our own determination, even our own passion, although that's beautiful. But it's one that's going to come from the very heart of God himself. It's a freedom and a steadfastness that's going to come straight from the presence of the Lord where we're not just going to be a people who understand the concept of freedom and, and the health of our hearts, but we're actually going to be a people who are walking in the manifest freedom of God. And I really believe that that's for us today. If you feel like your heart is in a, a stuck, a struggling kind of place, there is true freedom that the Lord wants to minister to you. And it's going to be ministered to you unto steadfastness because he wants to see faithfulness in your life. Not out of obligation and ticking the box, but because he wants to see you healthy. 
He wants to see you whole. He wants to see His life manifest in you. And the way that He's going to do that, Scripture is so clear, is by touching our hearts. And that requires... uh, It requires being intentional. Can I say that? It's all on Him to do it. Because only He can do it. But it does require us positioning our hearts and our lives to go, here I am, Lord. Search me and know me. Does that make sense? I want to give us just a couple of practical uh, tips, if I can. Like just practical ways of keeping and remaining steadfast in the Lord um, for the the hour that we're in. And uh, I will start in Psalm 27. You all know this one really well. Maybe you're like, I don't, but when I read it, you will. Psalm 27 is another uh, psalm of David, and it's just so beautiful. You would have heard this many, many times in, in, in songs and in prayers and just the language even that we use in this house. Um, I'm just going to read, <clears throat> for the sake of time, from verse 4, where David says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or to meditate in His temple. Okay, really important. He says, one thing um, I've asked of the Lord. Some translations will say, one thing I desire of the Lord, okay? It's really important that we understand that as um, sons and daughters of God, there is a desire that is in our hearts that is inherently there. It's, It's woven into the way that we are designed And it is a desire that is for God. It is placed there by God Himself. And there is absolutely nothing in this entire world, no relationship, no job, no adventure, no nothing, that will ever be able to satisfy that place in your heart except for the presence of Jesus. But I want to say something that's really important for us to catch, that along with desire, often when this scripture is quoted, we just say, one thing I desire is to gaze upon His beauty. But that's not everything he says. He says, one thing I've desired, one thing I've asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after. Are you catching this? He's saying, there's this desire that is in my heart to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. But I'm going to make sure that that desire doesn't just stay as a desire. I'm actually going to pursue him. I'm actually going to go after seeing this desire that is in my heart, placed by God himself, fulfilled in my life. Because here's the problem. Desire, uh, without a pursuit, without a seeking, will lead to frustration in your life. Guaranteed. There is a desire in your heart, even right now, that is only for Jesus. That only the presence of God Himself can satisfy. And when we don't pursue that, our heart is always searching. It's like looking for something to latch hold of, to grab onto, to, to fill that longing in our hearts. And it could be a million different things that you could try. I've been there. We've all done it a million times, especially, excuse me, especially before we got saved, right? The whole world is searching for what's going to fill that empty space. But as the people of God, we have not just a holy responsibility, but a privilege and a joy to be able to seek and pursue the face of God. And from a place of not like I'm, I'm trying to get there, but actually from a place of He's welcoming, he's welcoming me into his presence. He's welcome, welcoming me. Wow, I can't say that word today. 
um, to see his face. Desire without pursuit will produce frustration in your life. We must come to the, the revelation of the fact that there's a space in my heart. In fact, it's all of my heart. It's not just a space that is entirely and solely for the person of Jesus. And it is my great joy that I get to seek and pursue him. And only in that place will I experience, not just know about, but experience the wholeness and the fullness of the life that Jesus actually paid for us to live in. Amen? So that's the first step. Being steadfast in the Lord is not just a matter of pulling up your socks and keeping on going. It's actually every day, Lord, one thing I desire, and that I will seek. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon your beauty. To meditate in your temple. To, like uh, Psalm 139, how precious to me are your thoughts. Lord, come speak to me. I want to know what you're thinking, what's on your heart. Put your word in me. Amen. Second thing I want to say, which is tied in with that, is replace distraction for devotion. Replace distraction for devotion. What do I mean by that? There is actually, it's, it's switched around in our understanding, but let me, let me say this. Oftentimes when we're dealing and processing things in our hearts, it feels like the easier thing to do to just shut down. It feels like the easier thing to do to just busy ourselves with other things because I subconsciously feel like I actually can't take uh, my life in this condition, in this state before the presence of the Lord. So I'm just going to distract myself. Often it's a really subconscious decision. Not many of us are actually going, well, I'm not going to be with Jesus today. I'm just going to do my own thing, you know. It really is a subconscious thing. But I want to say that as the people of God, in the way that we've actually been designed by the Lord, I want to say that there is actually far more grace to be devoted than there is to be distracted. There is actually far more grace to be someone who consistently pursues the presence of Jesus, regardless of whatever I'm facing or going through, than there is to just distract myself from what I'm struggling with. And you can feel that tension because we've all been in that place. Don't have to show hands because we've all been there. When we are just distracting ourselves and going along whatever that looks like, you can actually feel that that war is still being waged in your soul. Because what you're doing is you're not settling the things that, that are actually meant to be given, given to the Lord. We're not processing healthily. We're shutting down. We're not coming alive into who God's called us to be. And that's actually the fight. You're fighting to stay there. There's actually grace to come into His presence. There's actually grace to be devoted to Him. Devotion is not a religious strain. Like, I've got to put all these radical disciplines in my life and make sure that every day I'm ticking the box and doing all the right things. Grace to, uh, devotion comes from the grace of Jesus. I'm able to live devoted to Him because He could live devoted to the Father on the earth. I'm able to live faithfully because He could walk faithfully on the earth. I'm able to obey because He walked in obedience on the earth. I'm able to resist the temptation of sin because in every way he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. There is more grace to live pure and holy as a son and daughter of God than what there is to live a distracted life. And that's the truth. It might not feel that way, but I promise you that's the truth. And if you let that land in your heart, when those thoughts and those things try to land, you'll remember in that moment, this is actually where the this, the, the fight actually is. I don't need a fight. I can rest in the finished work of Jesus. I can rest in the faithfulness of the Father. Amen? Come on. This is really important. Like, I feel like this is so good for this time because we can't afford to be a people that are distracted. 
The Lord is doing incredible, incredible things in this house, but also in the nations. I'm rocked, like, thinking about that this is like, I don't even know how many times this trip, how many teams we've been able to send over the last couple of years, how much the Lord has done in this community that He's expanding the reach, the effectiveness of the house because we're catching that He really is worthy. And because He's worthy, because I understand the love that He has for me, I understand that in the same way that He loves me, He loves people on the other side of the world. And He's beginning to mobilize us as a house to live in a way that brings His kingdom and establishes His kingdom on the earth. But the way that we're going to do that in a healthy way is being a steadfast people. Not our own strength or steadfastness, but the steadfastness of Jesus. A people who are living faithful and, and devoted to Him because there's grace to actually do that. There is grace to love Jesus. You hear that? Next thing I want to say that's really important, if you want to live steadfast in the Lord, you need, listen to me, you need to be plugged into community. You need to invest your life into community. You need to make sure that your roots go deep in community. Here's the difference. What I'm talking about, investing your life in community, is that there's a difference. I shared this with um, our home group a couple of weeks ago. Thank you, Lord. It's just dropped into my heart. That there is a difference between just attending something and being present at something. Attendance means you were there. Awesome. It's a great start. You want to be places. <laughs> you want to be where the Lord's gathering. You want to be with people. Attendance is not bad. That's great. But to be present means that I'm actually um, investing my heart. I'm positioning my heart to receive and to be anchored in all that the Lord is doing in this community and in this context. It's not while well, I'm, I'm just sitting to kind of observe and see what's happening, but I haven't really got it all figured out. Figured out or don't. Learn. Let the Lord teach you how to be present in community where it's not just about being somewhere, but it's also about my heart being fully given to what he wants to do in this context and in this community. If he's planted you here or if he's planted you in another community, make sure that your life is invested in it because I promise you, having your life surrounded by the people of God who are also loving Jesus and faithfully following after him will keep you from stumbling. It will keep you from getting into slumps in your life where, you, where your identity is shaken. I, I promise you that. I could share testimony after testimony. And I know so many of you here could too. That when your head begins to fall, the idea is that your arms are locked with other believers. That they can lift up your arms, keep you standing, and lift your head to see the beauty of Jesus. Even in the midst of, of struggles and, and difficult things that we're going through. Invest your life into community. It is not my idea or just a good idea. It's God's idea. The whole um, outworking of the gospel is done in the family of God. It's done in community. Jesus himself has designed it that way. And it's really exciting because you will hear and encounter and express Jesus with the same values, but in, an, in a unique expression that I will never be able to. Which means that in every single one of our lives, we all carry and will demonstrate an expression of God that will bless somebody else because they might never have seen him that way if it wasn't for you just being you. That's not a pressure to now perform and do a whole lot of things. That's saying, hey, actually just your heart given to Jesus 
and anchored and planted in community is going to bless the people around you. That's amazing. Come on. Someone needs to get excited about that. So I'll see you all at home group this week. Amen. <clears throat> and then maybe just one, one last thing that I say that I think is really important is learning to wait on the Lord. Waiting on God. Um, there are many, many scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, um, all throughout the Psalms and in Isaiah. Many of them are like, you know, fridge magnet kind of scriptures about uh, waiting on the Lord. Like, for you, O Lord, o Lord, my soul waits in silence. I, I wait upon the Lord, for from Him comes my strength. All these different scriptures, right? And um, it's really important that we have a healthy understanding, a right understanding of what it actually means to wait on the Lord. Um, I, I learned just from studying and finding a whole lot of different things that in the Hebrew, the word that is most commonly translated as wait into the English language, I don't know how to pronounce it, so forgive me, but it's, yeah, it's kava, which actually means to uh, entwine yourself, to, to wrap tightly um, into something or around something, which means that when we think about waiting on the Lord, it's not this passive thing of like, well, God, are you going to do something? Like, I'm just waiting. I'm getting a bit impatient. It's actually the most active thing that you can do as a believer where what you're doing is you, in, in, in stillness, you are positioning your heart to be fully wrapped up and engaged with the person of Jesus. I, I really believe that in this time, a, a key to being steadfast in the Lord is waiting on God because waiting on Him teaches your soul to be still, teaches your soul to be silent, where in the midst of distraction and the loudness and all the voices that are all around us all the time with the world that we live in, you learn how even in the midst of that context to hear the voice of God because you have practiced waiting on Him. What it's also going to do is teach you that you don't have to do things really fast. You don't have to be in a rush to get stuff done. You realize that there is an urgency in the heart of God to see His kingdom established and to see people saved and hear the good news of the gospel. But He's also really patient. And he's far more concerned about our hearts before he is about our function and what we're able to do. Waiting on the Lord will teach you to be patient and not be hasty in doing or saying something until you feel his anointing rest upon you. It will help to bring clarity to your life when you learn to silence all the other voices and give your attention solely to the voice of the Lord. Does that make sense? Have I explained that okay? So, to... Just sum up those so that you remember them. Desire without pursuit will lead to frustration. So seek the Lord. He loves you. He longs for your presence in His presence. Replace distraction for devotion in your life. There is more grace to be devoted and no grace to be distracted. So it's actually more natural for you to pursue Jesus and to be devoted to Him than it is to not. Does that make sense? Invest your life into community. Plant your life. Give everything that you've got. It will cost you. I'm not going to try sugarcoat it. It will cost you to invest your life into community. It will cost your time. It will cost you your plans, maybe even resources, whatever it is. It might even get a little bit messy sometimes because it's family. But I promise you the reward in family will far surpass any cost that you would pay to, to experience it. I promise you that. And learn to wait on the Lord. Practice just sitting before him and loving him and allowing him. Oh, I love that scripture. I think it's in Zephaniah 3 where it says he will quiet you with his love. It's learning to sit before him and allowing him to actually quiet your soul with the love that he has for you. Amen.
I really want to give um, just space for the Lord to move this morning. I really believe there's so much power in uh, the declaration of the word. And in faith, I just believe that it's been received in good soil today. And I'm, I'm, the Lord is faithful to bring a 30, 60, 100-fold harvest of that word in our lives. Amen. Um, but I really believe today that the Lord wants to liberate people. That whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I really feel like He wants to touch us um, in that place that maybe you've been holding back a little bit. Or maybe that just hurts. It's just a little bit painful. And I feel like he wants his church to know that it's, it's in his mercy and his, in his kindness that he doesn't want us to carry on carrying those weights and those struggles in our life. But actually, the price that he paid was more than enough to take care of all of that. He's not intimidated by it. He wants to touch our hearts. He wants to make us whole. That is the fruit of the gospel. So can we just create a, a space to just receive the Lord afresh this morning, to just welcome Him to come and touch us? Would you stand with me? Maybe we can do a very church thing, but if I could ask you, that you close your eyes and just lift up your hands. Um, maybe it seems a little bit silly to you, but sometimes those like practical expressions of closing our eyes helps to keep us focused. And lifting up our hands is a posture of surrender and receiving. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Lord, we welcome you. We thank you that you are present in this place. We love your presence, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and fill our hearts today. Come and touch us in that deepest place, Lord. We yield and surrender our lives. Come and rest upon us this morning, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just keep receiving. I want to encourage you, even in your own words, just come and ask Him to touch your heart. Say, search me, God. Know me. Come and fill me this morning. encourage us as you're just receiving you just keep meditating on the Lord there's just a scripture that's been stirring in my heart this week and uh, just in light of all of this and it's out of uh, John chapter 20 and uh, the context is Jesus he's been crucified he's been buried but now he's been raised and he's beginning to reveal himself and appear to his disciples and uh, he appears uh, he appears to them but Thomas wasn't present Thomas missed this initial moment and they begin telling him, no, we, we saw the Lord, he's, he's alive. And uh, Thomas is like, unless I've seen him, unless I see the hands, uh, his hands with the mark of the nails and, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and into his side, I'll never believe. See, for Thomas, there was still a lot of disappointment and hurt that was in his heart. Because he didn't fully grasp what Jesus actually came to do. So he felt like he'd missed something. Now others are beginning to see 
and he's seeing the evidence of their hearts and lives being touched by Jesus, but he hasn't, doesn't feel like he's gotten there yet. And this scripture rocks me because we see the mercy of the Lord and the faithfulness of Jesus to stop for that one who was carrying hurt and disappointment in their hearts and unbelief, really. This is incredible. Listen to this. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. I want to encourage you, even if you feel like the door to your heart is closed this morning, that will never stop the Lord. He can come in this morning. He will stand in the midst. And listen, the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. See, Thomas might have felt like he missed out on something, yet he was the one who had the most intimate experience with the Lamb. He felt his wounds. And his response was, my Lord and my God. The Lord is faithful this morning to touch you in that place, to heal your heart, to not just make it better for a moment, but to bring full liberty and wholeness to your life. And what it requires is the revelation of the Son of God, to touch His wounds, to touch His side, to know the price that He paid, that we could have life and life more abundantly. Just see him in our hearts this morning speaking, peace, peace be with you. Oh, Jesus, we receive you today, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Search us and know us today, Lord. Take us for your inheritance. Have your reward in our lives today, Lord. Lord, by faith this morning, we just reach out and touch you. By faith, we open our eyes and we see your majesty. We see your worthiness this morning, God. And we thank you, God, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come right now. You fill every life and every heart in Jesus' name. Fill every heart and every life. Lord, I thank you for a tangible manifestation of your presence upon every heart right now in Jesus' name. Oh, thank you. By faith, I release the liberty that is found in the Holy Spirit. I release the freedom of the gospel. I release the healing that you paid for on the cross. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just keep receiving, keep receiving. Just engage with Him. Let it be the language of your own heart. Just welcome Him. We worship you, Jesus. We honor your presence in this place, Lord, and we just thank you for your, your kindness, for your grace and your mercy, Lord, that you love us so deeply, Lord, that you really care. You really care about the health and the posture of our hearts.
God, I thank you for the way that you've touched people today, Lord. I thank you even for those that maybe don't feel ready to walk through the door. I thank you that today they see that that door is open to walk through. That door into the freedom and the liberty that comes only through the gospel. Lord, by faith, I just thank you. I, re I release a fresh lifestyle of encounter over us as a house today. Lord, I thank you that you, um, that you just awaken our hearts to that desire that you've placed there, which is for you and for your presence. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for the grace to pursue you, the joy of seeking your face. You really are our one thing, Jesus. You are the one thing that we desire, the one thing that we will seek. We bless you. We exalt you, Lord. And, and I just thank you that you are glorified in our lives, that you will be glorified in this church. You'll be glorified in our marriages, in our families, in our businesses. Lord, in every sphere of our lives, would you have your glory in 24-7 church. In Jesus' name, God, we bless you and we love you. And we just thank you that you're going to continue, Lord, to just minister freedom to our hearts. To make us come alive in the gospel in a fresh and new way. In Jesus' name, Lord, I bless your people today. Thank you for their hearts. Thank you for their love for you, Lord. I just release increase and blessing over them, Lord. I thank you for fresh encounter, fresh uh, perspective and vision and zeal for life in you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for where you've positioned us in a, as a house. And thank you for everything that you're taking us into. We love you and we bless you. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. As if you would like um, some prayer, if you feel like you need just some personal ministry, we have a team. You're welcome to come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Um, but otherwise, we love you. We bless you. Have an incredible week in Jesus. We'll see you in the homes to the... Mission school students will see you on Tuesday, um, and I'm just expecting for a powerful week in the Lord. Amen. Awesome. Bless you guys.